Blog Talk Radio. National Archives and Beyond Block Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show will focus on Slave Era Research with Char McCargo-Baugh. Now, Char has been a guest on this show, and she is always a very informative guest when she shares with us her wealth of knowledge and information on genealogy. Char McCargo-Baugh is the CEO owner of Finding Things for You, LLC. She has been a genealogist since 1981, has appeared in numerous television interviews with CBS, Fox 5, Comcast, Public Broadcasting Services, just to name a few, and documentaries. She has received numerous awards in 2014, 13, 10, and in 2009 for her work in genealogy. She was the city of Alexandria's genealogist on the Alexandria Freedman and Contraband Cemetery. She became a living legend of Alexandria in 2014 and is co-author of African Americans of Alexandria, Virginia, Beacons of Light in the 20th Century. Char is currently working on her second book, which will be available in the late fall of 2016, and I know all of you will want to get a copy of her book. So let me give a warm welcome to Char McCargo-Baugh to research at the National Archives and beyond. Char, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bernice. Char, I am really looking forward to you sharing with us four different topics tonight that will help expand our knowledge of slave era research. So let's start off with take a close look at slave owners' probate records and where their slaves went. 
Yes. Um, these lectures that I develop uh, will be um, available in detail at the Fairfax County Genealogical Society Conference, which will be from April the 1st through April the 2nd, starting tomorrow. And um, what happened is when I developed these um, uh, lectures, I was more concerned with a lot of people who actually have not used certain parts of records. They'll find a find a, their um, slave owner, and then they'll hop and try to um, go to another side or don't go into depth. And so this, these lectures were really out of that need for to show people that it was more information there. Now, taking the first lecture, take a, a close look at slave owners and probate records. Most people, when they get into probate records, and I did this myself, go straight to the inventory to see whether the slave owner listed my people. And um, and then sometimes we do not go into anything else. And then we wonder what happened to our people, especially if you find find them on a on a inventory list in 1840 or something like that. And um, then you don't know what happened. Well, the answer sometimes is right there in front of your face because a probate in many cases is going to have the if, if, if the person died um, intestate or just without a will, but it, it were intestate that was with a will, they're going to have a will, they're going to have uh, inventory, a bond has to be set, then the inventory, and then they're going to have the accounting of the estate, uh, what is paid out and what is paid in. And if they sell any slaves, it's going to show up and what um, and, and what is coming into the estate after the sale of the slaves. And the will might mention where the slaves are going, if it's going to a family member, but if the slaves have to be sold. Well, they'll have the name of the person who actually is purchasing the slave because he has to pay the estate. And so some people don't realize just, you know, just looking at the inventory and say, yes, I got the slave owner, and that's it. It's so much more that one has to look at because now – your individual ancestor is owned by someone else, and then you now have to research that particular person. So those are the kind of things I will cover and showing what makes up a probate uh, 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 record, what is in it, and where possibly you can find more information about your people. Yes, okay. Well, tell us uh, just a little bit more about that. I mean, we did have mm -hmm. uh, David Patterson on our show discussing mm -hmm. uh, probate, and for mm -hmm. some people, they may say, "Well, I don't, I don't see my ancestor. Where, where is my ancestor?" Um, well, one thing is that when in doing your genealogy, you cannot, you cannot, and I can't e emphasize this more, uh, enough. You cannot skip, skip. You can't just because grandma told you this information, you starting from where grandma told you. You actually gotta yeah. really start from yourself. Now I myself worked on projects where I did not start from the present. I started from the past and worked to the present. But that was the uniqueness of that project. But in most cases you wanna start from that from that un from that beginning, even if you know it, you just wanna verify and make sure that you have the documentation, you have acquired the documentation and put the citation and then you continue on. In many cases, once you get to 18, um, when you get to 1870, that's where most people get a little bit lost. They don't know what to do. They don't know who were the slave owners. And um, in many cases, a lot of slaves did not use the, the last name of the slave owner, of their last slave owner. My people did. Most of my people did, but I did. I have done research in so many other states 
and I found found out that I was not a norm. <laughs> there are many cases, um, um, especially in city areas and urban areas, many uh, other slaves use um, uh, another surname besides their owners. So what happened is that you get to that point and you don't know what to do. Most people, um, they might have skipped some documents. They might not. They might not have vital statistics for everything. Vital statistics might not have been there for the state they're they're researching. Um, they um, they just use census information. I have people come to me and say they did all the research on the, on the internet, and I say, oh my God, I don't think I know because that is you know, the internet is good, but. That is not uh, your main source and where you're going to going to begin your research. You got to learn how to use these institutions, courthouses, um, archives, and all a host of other places to be able to do your research. So one thing you cannot miss anything. And then uh, what happened is that um, you started looking at once you get to 1870, you have not identified. You don't know who the slave owner is. You're going to start looking into the neighborhood. If they stayed in the same county. Of that they were that they were former slaves, and then you started looking at the neighborhood and seeing all the white people who were living around them. Chances are there might be sharecropping for some of them, and you started looking into looking into that. Start looking at the name pattern, um, as if they have like the same. They named all their children the same as this other white family, you know, uh, that you might say he's a, a suspect slave owner. You started looking at um, of that. Um, then you started looking at any relationships. If he bought, if your ancestor bought property very early, did he have a white witness? What is that white person to them? Could that have been a previous relationship? Um, also, sometimes if that doesn't work, you might want to find the mother church. If the family been at this church from the time of the right after the Civil War, that church probably came out of a white church. That white church probably was the church that their slave owner took them to when they were slaves. So it's all kind of little ways that one can possibly find a slave owner, and and I and I, I personally have found many many slave owners because my people were sold a lot, and then of course I have done research for others and I have found their slave owner, but it's a lot of it's not the norm, it's not what people um, mostly use. Every time I have um, I have about maybe a little bit close to three dozen slave owners that I have located on my own family, and. Most of them were. I found them in a different way. So there's no one way. You just have to use. If that doesn't work, use the next next um, way of finding them until you find the right one that fits for your people. And so, mm-hmm. um, so that's one of the things. But once you find a slave owner, then you get into all of his records. You go through. Uh, I always say I do a dance when they die before 1865, and I say, Oh, thank you, God. <laughs> <laughs> because to me, they left some documentation, you know. Um, if they didn't, and and you suspect they the slave owner, you got to go through a lot to prove it, you know. But if they died before, you just say, "Oh my God, thank you, you gave me a gift," because they left documentation. And chances yes. are, your people are mentioned. Mentioned. Mhm. 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 Now, one of the things, and because you were talking about the the surnames and taking it from the slave owners, you've seen uh, the the genealogy shows on television, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one particular show will always go to the slave schedule. What can mm-hmm. you say about that? Um, well, you know, I know they they'll use the slave schedule, and then based on their um, analysis, they will say that this is chances are this is the uh, a person. 
that's just one document, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Oh, this one falls in the same age group, so I think this is this has to be the slave owner. It has to be much more research than that to be able to prove that. And I think that the you know um, the board of certified genealogists really you know um, brings this out. You got to have more documentation than that. Mm-hmm. But I guess for mm-hmm. TV, you don't, you know. <laughs> so, so that's <laughs> so. one of the things. Well, there's a, yeah, there's a question in the chat room. Often all of the slaves are not in the inventory. And I, this is the, the, the chatter is saying, I know they are still there. Why mm-hmm. are they not all listed? Well, um, in my experience and uh, and working with uh, clients and stuff like that, sometimes I um, I give a lecture where we'll talk about that some course at the, um, during this hour. Um, I give a lecture on hiring out, and I also give a a lecture on um, on on a slave that might have was a runaway. And what happened is that you might not see them in the inventory if the slave is hired out, and 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 what happened is that. He's bringing income into the estate. I mean, when the person is dead now, bringing income into the estate, and and maybe um, chances are, not saying he was overlooked or anything because that's their money, but chances are they might not um, list them for reasons because you know they had to pay tax on everything. Okay. They had to pay tax so on everything. They so had could to have pay been tax. Some kind of, they had to pay tax on every, you know, all of the slaves as well as the livestock. So that's some one must look at that some of these people, like even today, we have people who um, evade taxes. Did you think the slave owners didn't do the same thing? You know, it was up to them to report that a child child was born, a a slave child was born. Maybe they were not accurate in reporting that. Mm -hmm. I have done Mm -hmm. researches on on slave owners that were judges and lawyers, and they were notorious for not reporting their slaves. So that that tells us why we didn't find them on the inventory, mm-hmm. although we know they're there. It could be, yeah, and it could be not owned by him. It could have been a dowry slave. It could have been owned by his wife. It was not his slave. Right. It could have been a slave that was on loan to him. Yes, and, and, we, I, and one of my I, lectures, I see a comment. I, I, yes. It's saying money, 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 money. I mean, that's what it's yes, all about. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so, I one of my lectures I also give uh, on um, on Saturday is uh, talking about hiring slaves, and um, and what happened is that um, another one covers um, um, uh, getting into detail about how slaves are hired out, and and who knows, like I said, whether that slave is going to be on on that person's uh, inventory. But I have done lectures on di- on dowry slaves, and what happened is that the wife and the um, husband, the wife is you know might been come from a wealthy family. She was giving so many slaves when she got married that she could have assigned over her the and be in order to get her husband's estate. She could assign uh, waived her portion to the slaves. But let's say she was the wealthy one; he was not. And he mm-hmm. came. He got his wealth through her. Now, when he dies, whatever slaves that he purchased during the time they were married would be listed in his probate, but not her slaves. So right, the, matter, the right. bottom line comes to whose slave was it? Was it his mm-hmm. or hers? Mhm, mhm. So it's extremely important if. After you have identified the slave owner, that you then, as you said, hope that they died before 1865, 
start yes. looking at their uh, probate records and, and yes. other documentation where you can find mm-hmm. them. Yes, but then there's other ways that you can find uh, find slaves. Um, I'm uh, starting next year. Well, um, I, um, I have already started, but I'll be getting into it a lot next year. I'm doing a whole series on Reconstruction. And what happened is that people go from 1870 and then they jump right into the slave, you know, and uh, prior to the Civil War. It's a whole lot of records that were that that were uh, established during the Reconstruction period that can narrow that time period down to um, to 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 you locating your family in slavery, and people will look those records. First mm-hmm. time, for example, uh, uh, yes, give us an example. For example, voter registration. Yes, uh, black males could vote. And some mm-hmm. and some of the first vote vote uh, votes were in 1866. Mm-hmm. Freedmen Bureau records. People use them, but do they really use them? Using a record and really using them are two different things. Do you I actually analyze? You. you see what I'm saying? So you can skim over. I don't see my people, but people don't. I do neighborhood research. When I do my research, I do collateral lines. I do my family. I do collateral lines. I do the neighborhood. And many times I found relatives I did not know I was related to because they had different names, they had different owners in slavery, but they're brothers and sisters. They got married, lived next door to each other. I would, if I did not do the neighborhood, I would not have known they were mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And see, so um, so what happened is that you have you you, you have the first time of them voting, you have the first time of them paying taxes, the 1866 or 1865 tax records, depending on the the county and the state when they took it, but it's between 1865 and 1870. Sometimes they are still working for the same slave master if they if they stayed. So you would see maybe you see a white male's name sometimes. I've seen this many times, white male name, and you see a whole lot of black people that are working and they're putting down their they're taxing them maybe ten cent or five cent on a whole. And then I found later deeper research. They were they were slaves of this particular person. Mm-hmm. But there's a question leave. coming out. There's mm-hmm. a question coming out of the chat jar, and they want to know. So, how did you know they were related if they had different names? Well, one thing, thank God, I'm in the state of Virginia because marriage license, um, marriage marriage and death records started very early in Virginia, 1853. Mm-hmm the vital statistic mm-hmm. records. And what happened is that when, uh, and then my family liked to get married more than one time. That was a blessing for me. <laughs> so, and each time, <laughs> each time they got married, Virginia asks you, who are your parents? Mm-hmm. And they come up with the same parents, but they have a different, different name. Then with that different name and knowing that their sibling had a different surname, I went looking for slave owners that had those two names to see whether they were, you know, see and see what I could find. Well, I knew the slave owner on one side of the family, but I didn't know the other one with the surname. Come to find out when I looked at the owner's probate records, he was doing business with this other slave owner of my other family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then I found out a decrease a big decrease from 1850 uh, slave schedule in slaves to 1860. And then I looked for that period of time to see what happened, and I found out that he had purchased uh, some slaves from the other slave owner that owned my other people. 
But the clue mm-hmm. came to when I found out they were related, then I went deeper to look and see how did that happen. Right, right. And, they and, and as you say, I mean, people skip. As you say, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they're in 1817, and they start looking for the slavery, and they forget about, well, voter registration or, mm-hmm. you know, what's happening in the neighborhood. And the Freeman records are the and the Freeman records are very good. And reading the Freeman uh, records, because, you know, they, did, they had marriages mixed in, but they had letters, and they also had people who were looking for their family members. And, um, and, 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 and um, they knew that their, um, they had a sister that was sold, you know, maybe to New Orleans, and they asked the Freeman Bureau to help them find their sister. So you want to look mm-hmm. at those letters. You also you want to also do a, a, a you know, people get say, I get stuck and they don't know what to do. Well, why are you thinking about you don't know what to do? Why don't you do a genealogy of the neighborhood that your people came out? And I tell you this, in many cases when you do that, you will find the answer to what you thought you had a brick wall on. And that's a very good recommendation. Do the genealogy of the neighborhood. Neighborhood. And I mean, you we have find... a comment coming out of the chat from from Family Tree Girl, and she says she does the whole county, town, neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes. To you discover have to. that the family is not far from from there. I mean, she can no, figure it not. out. And um, you know, I had a um uh, recently a client and um um that I was working with, and her husband, basically her husband, uh, his family, um, he, he never knew his father. His mother was married, uh, but she never knew his father. By the time he was, you know, aged, they were already they already split, and he did not know anything, never seen his father and everything. And he, I would say he's in his early 50s. And so what happened, she asked me, could I help her out? And so and um, within a couple of weeks, I was able to locate um, his family still living. His father's deceased, but he, his father had other children, got married, and not only that, they have a bishop in the family, mm-hmm. and they had he had no clue. And so, what happened is that, um, you know, it's just that if you're going to do genealogy, and you're serious about it, then be serious about it. It's a lot of stuff out there, and, you know, we're not going to live forever, so we have to do what we can because sometimes we're the only one in our family that, 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 that um, you know, retain the family history. Uh, so one has to really, really, um, you know, um, if this is something that you really want to do, then do it. Don't have to do it because you won't come out with the real, you won't come out with the, you know, with the information that you need. Um my family, they will always talk about sports and you know, you know, celebrities and everything. Until I started finding celebrities in our family, they and that's all they talk about. Girl, don't you know I'm kin to this one? Oh yeah, you know, before it was somebody <laughs> uh-huh. else's, somebody else's relatives, somebody else's family, and we all got, you know, I always tell people we all got the good, the bad, and the ugly. We all know the ugly, but do we know all the good? And so I tell uh-huh. people to go after it. And so, um. You know, it's 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 been a lifetime commitment. It's, once I got bit by the genie bug, it's been like a lifetime thing for me. And um, there's so many things to do and so many um, interesting things. And I really get a lot of training, you know, because I go to conferences too, not as much as I used to, but because through my clients is that I get I get exposed to so much through my clients. People say, well, why do you do other people's genealogy? It is 
the best way you can get your Ph.D. in genealogy because it takes you so many places and so many things. Um, I learned by doing other people and being able to uncover other um, uh, things and, and finding the unusual way of finding things is through my clients because of their situation and their brick wall and you know, and um, I'll figure it out. I'll get it somehow, and I keep using different methods and, and coming up with methods, and, 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 and you really get, you know, really find a niche for it. Yes, yes. And, Char, I mean, we have a person, uh, she's saying she just she's just having a hard time figuring how, out how can you tie people together if they don't have the same surnames. I mean, she's she just want to know if she's missing something. Okay, um, <laughs> okay, okay, let me use an example. Um I got on oh, my family, my family, my family um, came out of slavery. One line of my family came out of slavery with the last name Anderson. Okay, in 1870, they were listed as Anderson, unknown to me. Then in 1880, they they settled on the surname Roan, the same family, R-O-A-N. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I was researching them from the present back, I knew them as Rome. I did not know anything about the Anderson family. Okay. When I get to 1870, I can't find them. I said, they are there. I know they're there. They've got to be there. And I couldn't find them. Luckily, they had uh, names that were not so common for the area that they lived in. This is Halifax County, Virginia. And my great-uncle told me, he said, we are related to certain people. And he would tell me, and I said, well, how? He said, I don't know. He said, I just know we just related to him. And so he had mentioned Anderson. He had mentioned some other names. And so what happened is that I, I, when I couldn't find him, I, then I started listening to my uncle again. And I, my great uncle, luckily he was still living. So what I did, I went through and I started looking for the same family, but not the surname. I looked for them by their first name, finding the whole family because I knew everybody in that household. I knew who was born, who should be there in 1870, and I found that family using the last name Anderson. Then I said, "This is not enough proof because I was lucky enough to know Mr. Walker, James Dent Walker, when he was living, and he always told us find three, three." Um, documentation for the same event. So what I did, I I, I was able. Uh, one of the slave owners had. Um, um, let's see, what's it there? No, not that particular line. What happened for that particular line? I then said, well, let me try and see, because Roan is a very unusual surname for Halifax. You mostly see that down in King and Queen County and um, Richmond, Virginia, but not Halifax. So I said. Let me see um, uh, uh, whether I can locate the owner first of the Anderson. And luckily for me, I, I do a lot of church research and, and cemeteries and stuff. I found Logan P. Anderson taking my ancestor to church. Well, how about and that? when he took him to church, then I went after him and researched him because he lived beyond 1865, and his wife was... Amelia Roan. And so Amelia Roan married Logan P. Anderson. Amelia Roan came from King and Queen County, 
I was right because because Rones are not a, a a name that you have in Halifax. And so then when I looked into um, the slaves that she got as diary, it was my ancestors. And half of them ended up staying with the Anderson last name, and half of them ended up with the wrong name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we have, I mean, there's still communication back and forth about what you've just given as an example but, Cheryl, I want to give you an example that I used. I found my mm-hmm. ancestor on the Freedman Bureau record in 1868 with the name mm-hmm. Clark and all mm-hmm. of the brothers and sisters. Could not find the family in 1870. Mm-hmm. But by going with just the first name, they were mm-hmm. in the census as Johnsons, mm-hmm. not Clarks. But by mm-hmm. 1880, they were Clarks again. Mm-hmm. And um, so that first name, I mean, doing that first important. name search, especially mm-hmm. if you find that grouping, it is very helpful. Yes, it is. And with me, I did not. I found this way before. You know, everything was on the internet, and I sat there at the library. I mean, at the at the National Archives, and I spent the whole summer. I went right after work was there on Saturdays, and I went through Halifax County line by line by line, typing out every uh, surname that I connect to, not knowing whether they're related. I said, I'll figure that out later. Mm-hmm. I did that, and that's when you use the Soundex. People don't probably know what the Soundex is. I oh, did all yes. of that. <laughs> mm-hmm, and, I, mm-hmm. and I went through there, and I thank God today because I still have my files and everything that I ended up being related to about 80% of the people that I, that I did. I went from, uh, at that time I think it was 1920 or 1910, back to 1870, and it took me three summers to do that. Wow. Well, we have a a person on the line with a question, so let me see if I could get them online right quick. Uh, Area code 504, you have a question or a comment? Yes, thank you. I'm enjoying everything. Um, Ms. Char, would you say that, now, now this is what I've noticed, in, in information in 1870 is different on, on, on your same relatives in 1880. What I mean by that is I've discovered that what they had Louisiana as the birthplace of certain people in 1870, you know, that would have been living in slavery. When the 1880 comes, it shows that they may have been born in a different state. So would you say the 1870 census was like a, uh, a trial error for blacks when the federal government did this and it was perfected by 1880? Um, I couldn't say because you really don't know why that happened. Uh, whoever gave the information, and, and you just don't know who gave who was home that day who gave the information to the census okay. taker. And and that's that's one of the problems that we normally have. You would hope that it's a head of household, but in many cases they out there working. It might be a kid home. It might be a child home giving that information out, or it might be a neighbor giving that information out about the household. So um, one does not know who is giving the information to the census taker. Right, right. Well, Charles, we're going to take a quick break and come right back so that we can continue this discussion and talk about Hiring out, and what does that mean, and what what can we find out about that? So just a quick break. Thank you.
to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This episode is sponsored by Write Books That Sell Now, the online course helping you write, publish, and market your story. Start your book journey with the totally free video training at writebooksthatsellnow.com backslash video training series. Well, this is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time where I will have an expert to share resources stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. By the way, when you go to iTunes, remember... Give me your comments. Let me know what you think about this show. Now, you have been listening to Char McCargo Ba discuss slave era research. And, Char, let's go on and continue this discussion by discussing I Was Hired Out, case studies on slave owners hiring their slaves out. Um, yes. Um, 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 hiring slaves out is another, I think, is another overlooked tool that um, many people do not look at. Sometimes you wonder why your ancestor did not use the last name of their slave owner, and they could have been hired out to a family that they liked, you know, and um, and decide when they got their freedom to use their surname. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened is that the the, the lecture that I give uh, on uh, Saturday concerning hire out, I would show that if you go through the um, 1860, 1850 slave schedule, you would see where some owners get, uh, basically tell you that this particular slave of theirs is hired out, or a person who have hired a slave would have on his slave schedule that he that this the slave owner is so and so, but he hired the slave. Also, you would see in probate records when an estate um, that may be um, what happened is that as they probate in the estate, it might take a couple of years. So what what, you, what, you, what do you think they do to the slaves? They don't let them sit there and, um, and, and, and um, paint their fingernails. They actually have them out there working, and they, sometimes they rent them out. And um, they do most of the renting of slaves usually happen right after Christmas. It usually they 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 are rented out in January. Also, another hiring out um, would be when they send uh, slaves to work on projects, which comes into my next lecture after this particular lecture when it says uh, slaves and free um, free people of color working on state and county projects, and that's another form of hiring them out to build forts during the Civil War or the roads and everything. And so um, many slaves were hired out, especially people who had large plantations. Um, they had a hundred and something slaves, but you have another person who had a small farm. He couldn't afford to buy a slave, so he would rent from a person who had, uh, you know, who, who, uh, who has a large amount of slaves. Uh-huh. And, and the clues are there. For instance, you look at the uh, free population census 
1860. Okay, let's say you know. Let's say you know who the slave owner is, and you look at him on the on the 1860 census, and you see that he has, uh, you know, a large amount for his personal property, which you know includes slaves, but his neighbor next door has only about two hundred two hundred dollars, but he has a farm. Chances are he's renting from he's renting a slave, have have that slave work with him to have his farm because he can't afford to buy a slave. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things are looking us in the face, and, and what happened is that you have to build up your analytical skills and notice when your ancestors are telling you, I'm here, because they're telling you where they are. You just have to be very conscious and be very detailed to see, because they usually, you know, the clues are there. I mean, you know, um, it's, it's really there, you know. So are you saying that there's some documented business transactions between a slave owner and, let's say, his neighbor, where they have agreed on an amount of money and the service that this uh, person would provide, you can actually find that documentation? It's, it's not as clean-cut as that. For instance, suppose you, uh, your daughter got married and you loaned her and her husband some slaves. You would probably, in many cases, if it's a good business people, they will have it in the deeds, and it'll be a, you know, it'll be because um, he wants to make sure he insure them. But sometimes, just because it's his, it's, 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 it's his daughter or his children, he might not have that. But if he dies, he might have it mentioned in his will that I already gave her what she's getting, mm-hmm. and it's understood mm-hmm. that, you know. So you have to read, the, you know, have to understand all the language they use and then or you'll see that um that they have the um um in in a will sometimes they they say the one that they um that they loan a slave and 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 that's and understood that that slave now is going to be theirs and uh, sometimes you also will see whether they have business partners uh, people they do business with and they just trust. They had a little bit more trust among themselves than they do today. Uh, so what mm-hmm. happened is we we don't trust people like that in business now, but they will sometimes didn't. It was like a matter of a handshake. And mm-hmm. what happened? What you're what, what you're going to see is that you're going to look at, especially if it's in the slave schedule when they when they um, have um, um, produced the slave schedule 1850 1860. That's where you're going to see. See, look for look for the owner and see whether he has notation that one of his slaves been hired out. Right now, there's a comment coming out of the chat from Alvin, and he's saying, "I see hired slaves all the time in the administrator's annual account books and probate records. In Mississippi, mm-hmm. they hired out for around a hundred dollars per year." Mm-hmm. Now, and it depends on the county and the state. Um, some. Um, and, and Virginia it was not required, you know, up front. It was not required that people, um, you know, like um, had, um, you know, like if they had to sell somebody. But they, chances are they're going to produce some kind of document because they're not going to pay taxes on something they sold or something that is hired out, um, and they get money for it. It does show up in probates, but it's not consistent. Not everybody put them in probate. Not everybody um, actually, um, um, you know, listed them the same way or listed them Mm -hmm. at all, depending on the relationship of the person that 
is um, that that is renting the slave. If it's a relative, they might not, you know. So that's one of the one of the things that one has to look at. So if they do collateral lines, when you do collateral lines on your own people, you must understand you must do the same collateral lines on the slave owner. Mhm, mhm. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and I tell you it is a lot of work, but you leave you leave um no doubt that when you um the information you have, you have it because you have done your collateral lines on on your people as well as the slave owner. So if you right. know if he has a brother brother that's not so wealthy as he, but the brother got some slaves over there, where did he get them from? That's right. He might have got it from family members. And then you have to look where they received um, their slaves. They might have hired, they might have had that slave hired to them, and then later on they were able to afford to buy that slave. Or they, you know, so, you know, so one one has to look at both sides. Unfortunately, we have the, we have the, um, we have the job of looking at both, both, both families, the white family as well as the enslaved family. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to looking in that community, looking at the collaterals, and mm-hmm. you know it's it's almost like people want to have instant, instant family showing up without mm-hmm. doing a whole lot of work. And what you're saying mm-hmm. is that you have to do the work, and you really have to uh, work on your analytical skills. Yes, and also you have to look at the uh, Freedmen Bureau records, though that is considered a reconstruction record, really, um, and and it's something that was um, these contracts you see, in, and most of them are going to be in the 1865, 1866, or whatever, but you would see that the Freedmen Bureau try to have a more standard type of form um, when they actually helped former slaves look for work and set up contracts as well. Right. And, yes, and those and labor contracts are are helpful. Mhm. Because mm-hmm. it also gives you what they what they do give you in the labor contracts, they give you family associations. Because sometimes a whole family is sent out to work a farm. Right. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And they would list the names recommend- of those people. Right. There's a, a recommended book uh, that's been listed in the chat room: "Slaves for Hire." Mm-hmm. Renting mm-hmm. Enslaved Labor Laborers in Antebellum, Virginia by Zaborny. Yes. Mhm. Thank you. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about slaves and, and free people of color because you, you did say a little bit about free yes. people of color, but say more about free people of color working in okay, state my- and county projects. Okay, um free people of color during the uh, Civil War, um, what happened is that I don't think people realize how many blacks worked for the Confederate, and it was a lot. It was not. It was no small number, but they were forced to. They were forced to as slaves. The um, Virginia passed a law. They were uh, asking slave owners to um, to give. They needed so many slaves to build forts. They needed so many slaves to do the roads, but also they mandated that that free free people of color also provide labor. And those records are 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 available and and sh- and um so what happened is that they really were like what we know later after slavery ended the the chain gangs from the prisons. It was it, it they were basically the same. They were um slaves 
who were forced to work on these forts, and they were sent as gangs, and they worked, and um, and and many of them took the opportunity to run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that gets into my next lecture about runaway slaves. <laughs> so, okay, so well, tell us build, about build runaway each, slaves. Yes. yes, each one of them build on it. So what happened is that um, I found. Let me finish up with this um, with the state and county projects. I found lists of um, of um, uh, a list of slaves that were sent to work, and they ran away. And what happened is that. This is in the public claims and um in 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 the um Virginia records and what happened they list their names and the owner list the names and said who they ran they ran to the Yankee or to the enemy and named the named the head of the um infantry and they ran to and they put their ages down and their names now the owner lived beyond eighteen sixty five so where else are you going to get a list of his slaves' names if it wasn't from that list? That's right. And so it's a very valuable document, but it's a little unknown genealogy jewel. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm assuming mm-hmm. if they did it in Virginia, they probably did it in other places. Because when, when um, Washington, D.C. emancipated their slaves in 1862, they um, they actually compensate the owners. And I think that was in the mind of many of the slave owners. If they lost their slaves during the war, maybe they would get compensated. So they started listing down the ones who ran away. Mm-hmm. Or, or who went over to 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 the enemy, or who, to the Yankees, how they put it, and so that's and so the freed blacks themselves, they could walk away if they, you know, if they could, you know, if they, you know, because they were not bound, but they actually worked too for the Confederate and helping because people were in need of jobs. Now, get, and, excuse me. Go ahead. Okay, then then leading into runaways. So, and and my lecture would cover just and not only just not say runaways. It was four different. At least I identified four different classifications of runaways: contraband, runaway, um, uh, fugitive slaves, and escapes. And depending on what period of time that this happened is what they were listed as. So when you do a search, you're looking for, you maybe you thought you heard of an ancestor might have ran away during slavery. So then what happened, you go, look, you can't find it. Then you got to check those other terms, escapee, a contraband, fugitive slave, or runaway. Mm-hmm. And I go over the different I go over the different periods of time, and I also show you the information, and then I show you, uh, where I found one of the slaves who was, I think she ran away in 1856. I found her 81 years old in 1920 in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so it's ways of looking for them if they survive, if they didn't make it over into Canada or someplace like that, or they didn't change their name. Now, I I want to just uh, share with you. I I attended a genealogy uh, workshop. And there was a a slave schedule, and the slave schedule had on it a six-year-old child, and Mm -hmm. it was checked, and it was checked. And at the top it said runaway, but the question Mm -hmm. was, well, how did a six-year-old run away? What can you say about that? What, What year are we talking about? It was 1860. Okay. 
um, my example that I'll be showing in, uh, for runaway uh, slaves, and, and this list would be called escapees. Mm -hmm. um, this particular slave owner lost from one plantation. He owned several plantations. From one plantation, he lost over 30 people, ran away. The youngest mm -hmm. was two. But in the oldest, they were six, 30 of them. So many ones were six, so many were four, so many were five years old. And and he stated it was the uh, Yankees who came in, passed, and they took took the children away. Hmm. So I don't know if that's the same case. We're looking at 1860, the war. People, you know, they, they're really talking about the war. The war's getting ready to happen. Could that have happened? I don't know. But then my thing about it is that who who was this um, child's parents? Where were they? Right. And did well, they my come interpretation back? is that the parents or somebody took the child. They could have. Could have been. They took the child, and I mean, they were runaways. I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. what happened. The kid didn't run away alone. Someone mm -hmm. took the child. Yes. It could have been. But it was significant. You know, it was significant mm -hmm. to the research to be mm -hmm. able to look at that and analyze it to determine, well, mm -hmm. what happened to the child. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you so know, it's, without, it's so much. Yes. Yes. So when you have one document, you know, you, you know, you need so much other, so much, so much other information to be able to clearly might be able to see exactly what happened. And we never know 100%, but at least we can say that we have several things that can support that. And one thing is to identify who the per person parents. Now, if 1860 and she was six years old, then if I was to approach it, then I would look at, I need to trace her through her life, the rest of her life because I got to find out who her parents are. So that means that in 1870, she would have been 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And she'd right. be, she be on a census someplace. And then, um, and if she's 16 years old and she's not married by then, she's probably in the household of some, some adults. And then hopefully they might be her parents. And mm -hmm. then, of course, if not, then 1880 would show the relationship of, of the household and so she would be 26 years old, but chances are she would be married. And um, and then if she, and I know you, South Carolina, you're talking about South Carolina? No, I'm, in fact, I'm not sure what state it was. I just remember okay, because the document. Of thing, okay, because if it's, if it's in one of the states that had vital statistics later in life, you might not, um, it might, um, when she died, might not have been a death certificate for her. But if it's in Virginia, then, of course, on her death certificate, hopefully the informant would have stated who the parents were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then I would so look at also the neighbors. I would look at the neighbors. And she might, where some people took took children off. I mean, um, I have seen cases in Virginia where um, people had um, children as child labor, you know, in their household servants. And mm -hmm. when they knew the war was going to break out, they, they ran with those children. And so who knows how long they kept those children in slavery beyond 1865. That's true. That's true. And they could even uh, be enumerated as a as a servant in the 1870 census. And I've seen yeah. uh, I've seen 11 and 12 year olds listed as servants mm -hmm. in the household yeah. of of a white family. Mm -hmm. And see, mm -hmm. the thing about it, we must realize, because uh, sometimes when we do the research, we don't actually look at the historical 
um, history that's playing at the time. Um, I my husband's from Sierra Leone, West Africa, so I'm very conscious of the war that took place in Sierra Leone. But then I flipped it into my own family. You look at slavery. We talk about war. Very, how many older people made it through through that war? How many um, parents died and their children survived? Who took care of those children? If it wasn't the plantation mom, the old woman on the plantation, or some some nanny on the plantation that maybe took in a child who was an orphan, they might have ended up in a a, a white household and and as a servant for the rest of their lives because they had no other family because their family died during the war. Right, and so, right. and we don't think about. We think we have to put all. I mean, our history is like a story, a continuous story with no breaks in it. And but when people do research, they show too many breaks in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It tells a story. It tells. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in our case, it's a con- continuous. It's not an end yet because it, our family continues. But the point is that it tells a story with no breaks. And but when you see people do their research, it got too many breaks in it. Yes. In fact, they have big ten ten year breaks in the story. Mm-hmm. It's like you, yes. your family didn't do anything between eighteen seventy and eighteen eighty, yes. yes. and they and forget think, all of what happened in the in the middle part of that. Yes, and I and I tell my classes, the classes I give um, down in Alexandria, I tell people you write a narrative. Every time you collect information, put it into your narrative. It must tell a story. You wouldn't read mm-hmm. a book if it didn't tell a story. Your right. family is a book, but it just mm-hmm. doesn't have an ending because as long as children are being born, the story continues. So what happened is that, it's, you know, you can't have these breaks, breaks, breaks. You know, yes, he's on the 18, uh, 18 um, maybe he's on the 1910 census, but my God, what did he do within that 10 years? That's right. That's right. You know, uh, so, you know, and so that's, that's, and you think of the records that you can find him on, even if they're dirt poor, they produce paper. They on somebody's paper. That's right. They are on somebody's mm-hmm. paper. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, one of the things that people perhaps often overlook may be just a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your ancestors I mean, if they, probably if they, made if it sh- in a newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. And if they share croppers. You know, uh-huh. it's some legal document between them, you know, because if it wasn't a legal document, then why did people run away when they were leaving a you know, sharecropping job before their contract was ended? They usually ran it and ran at night and got out got out before the the owner knew they were gone. Uh, so uh-huh. it's they have a legal document that, that keeps them there, and so uh-huh. therefore, you know, it's still somebody created a paper on them, you know. Um, so the thing about the story has to be told, and I think it'd be better, at least for us, because we struggle so much with um, with our fun family not keeping uh, written documents and stuff like that, that we must, as genealogists, make sure that when the story, when we're telling the story about our people, is a continuous story, a story that's well-documented, a story that, that can be passed on to the next family, but but... You want it to be a story that has less gaps. You're not going to be able to get rid of all the gaps because the simple fact that, you know, the nature of our history here, um, 
has caused problems with the research that we do, you know. But the point is you can tell a much better story than what is being told. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I want to take you back for a minute because I do have a question in the chat, and I did ask mm-hmm. you about it, but I'm going to ask you again. What mm-hmm. value do you see in using the 1860 slave census where it mm-hmm. is checked, sold, runaways, etc., and how would you research for those particular okay. Uh, census? Mm-hmm. Okay. If I'm doing um, research on a particular slave owner and I'm looking at his uh, um, his um, 1850 or 1860 slave schedule, and I see that he has a check or whatever beside a particular slave that is a, a runaway, I'm going to then look and see because he probably advertised for that. I'm gonna see whether there's any newspaper articles that he put out. Um, Stating that he has a runaway slave. Also, I'm a check with the sheriff's records, and that's something that people do not um, utilize like they should. Sheriffs them reported they got paid if they had a runaway slave, and they put a slave in jail. And I think I discussed it in one of my lectures um, too. I got it mixed in in one of these uh, lectures um, that he um, got paid for feeding him, housing him, <laughs> those in the jail. And so what happened is that they created records, and it went to usually to the to the to the county treasurer or whatever. And they put names. They listed the slave's name. They listed whether the slave owner appeared. They listed if the slave owner did not. They sold the slave, and they and they stated in those records who they sold that slave to. Mm-hmm. And so I will proceed to look for those type of records now. If the slave was never found. Um, but at least you should be able to find a newspaper article stating that this person was a runaway. And when you find a n- newspaper article, it gives you the description and gives you a possible place that the owner thought that slave might have gone. Where that slave, um, known that that slave, sometimes I've seen um, um, advertisements saying this particular slave had family in this particular area, and, and that's where they assumed that that slave was going. Mm-hmm. And so, once again, a valuable, valuable resource is the newspaper. And looking at what was put in the advertisement, and I spent an entire day at the Library of Congress looking at the original runaway slave ads. And -hmm. you're right, they give a lot of information. I mean, even Mm -hmm. to the point of describing the scar on the top of the head or what's on the back Mm -hmm. and how many years. So. It it is something that perhaps people definitely overlook, and that's those mm-hmm. uh, runaway slave ads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's one of the things that one has to, you know, look. It's it's a lot of other records that, you know, sometimes you don't even know about until you start digging around um, and looking through. But um, you look at those type of records that is less likely known by others. And sometimes you have to sit there and have a conversation with the reference librarian um, mm-hmm. at the archives or even at your local library and, and, and basically, you know, say you have this particular problem and you want to know whether it's any records that might show um, the kind of information you need. And they might know something that you don't know. That's right. Because they know, they know right. their records. They know their records. So, um, you know, don't go in there and ask for a 
um, particular record, just leave it open and say, I have this particular problem I'm working on, and I wanted to know that um, where you might have any records that maybe this that I might be able to look at that might be able to solve my problem, and let them tell you what type of records they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's something, again, I mean, it, it is so helpful. And you're right. Check with those reference librarians because they do know what's there in the collection. Mm-hmm. They are very valuable people. Any other recommendations? Um, also, I would say don't overlook your early churches. I'll find out the churches that your when your family came out of slavery, if they were slaves, if they were free blacks. Find out the the churches that they actually attended early on, as early as possible, because those churches are connected to um, the white community. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Uh, for enslaved African Americans, many of them, I guess, um, were, were taken to church by their owner. And you might not, if they own it, live beyond 1865. You might not, you won't find a probate with their name on it, but you might find a church record with their name on it. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. many African American churches did not keep good records, many of the white churches did. So right. that's another thing. And sometimes they're in the same community. In 1870, where you uh, where they are, if you know they didn't migrate, that they were a slave in that particular county, then you want to you want to check out the white churches in that particular county. So there's just so so many things. I mean, it's it's a dialogue, I guess, that we all need to just continue to talk about as far as the various resources that people need to look into. And, and as you said, I mean, some of those ancestors, they're right in your face. <laughs> they're yes. there. It's just that you you have either some blinders on or you're not thinking uh, broad enough to determine, well, where should I look for my ancestor? Where could they be? Did they go to church? Then what was the church in the community? Even the social statistics might show that when you mm-hmm. look at that overlook uh, census about what's there in the community. You don't even it's have to there. do that. I remember I had a client, and I, I think this client was in, um, I don't know, it was Georgia or South Carolina. Had so many over past. Anyway, and my research, I'm a diehard Virginia, but I do research in other areas. And um, but anyway, I contacted the town, um, the town that her ancestors were in, and I sat there and had a conversation on the phone with the librarian, and she told me. I just said I wanted to know some of the older, um, you know, churches in town. I said I'm looking for basically white churches, and she gave me the rundown. And I then asked her, I said, do you know whether they have um, anybody, you know, there to answer the phone? And she told me which churches did that and which churches did not and which churches I should call on Sunday when the secretary did because they don't have anybody during the week. And I was able to solve that brick wall just having a conversation with her on the phone and then, then following up with those churches. And when I gave out the surnames um, and gave out the information, because uh, I knew the slave owner by that time, and um, and I think it was the fifth church I called, he was a member of that church. And wow. and um, when I got to, when I was talking to their historian and she was just going on and on and oh my God and I didn't oh you know she was going on and on and she said the family we still got some of their family members you know descendants in the church and it was like 
you know. But so don't take for granted what you can do on the phone, you know what I'm saying? And um and don't take for granted that um sending somebody a Starbucks card for coffee goes a long way. I I um <laughs> particularly a person um um a person who's a volunteer, um I guess he answered all the genealogy inquiries and I used to send him a Starbuck card every two weeks and that man basically did my research for me right in the, right in there. <laughs> and every so, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot. Right. Well we have it's a comment coming out of the chat. Yes, you're saying it doesn't go you know, it's one thing to, to reward people or to thank people with just something, just a little token of appreciation, mm-hmm. and they can help you. Well, one mm-hmm. of the comments, and this is from Jari, he's saying that if you haven't already mentioned it, mortgage records are great sources for documenting enslaved people between other transactions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted yeah. people. And then there's another comment, follow the money, land, mm-hmm. water, and the faith of people. Folks will mm-hmm. show up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's so, true. Right. Well, do you have anything else you want to share with us? And I want to remind people that Char will be speaking on Saturday at the Fairfax Genealogy Society Genealogy Conference. So for those of you who are in the area, please go, and she is going to give even more details about the four areas she discussed tonight. Char, any closing remarks for us? Um, I guess my closing remarks would probably would say is that um, don't get frustrated in doing your research. And um, when your ancestors want you to find them, they'll let you know. Um, strange things have happened to me in the 35 years I've been doing genealogy. Strange things, and um, but and I got to a point that something beyond me is communicating <laughs> when they want to communicate. <laughs> so, um, um, but strange things have happened. I had ha- had a lot of successes. I wish the rest of part of my life could be like that. But anyway, but um, don't ever think that it's not possible. The record is not there. Or it'd be, it's just so interesting. And then, you know, with the DNA, in the DNA done, that opens up a whole other avenue and a whole other way of, you know, finding uh, your roots. But you still need your genealogy done. Uh, I tell people, I said, um, you can have your DNA done and know that, you know, you come from this area. But if you fly over there and you say, oh, I'm from this particular tribe, the first thing they're going to ask you, who's your mama, who's your daddy? And that you can't get unless you do your genealogy. Mm-hmm. That's so right. So you have to have an ancestor's name um, to be able to communicate with your ancestral tribe. And um, because, you know, not everybody buys into DNA. So you have to don't don't do one without doing the other. I That's think all genealogists right. need to do to get their DNA, but all genealogists need to also do their genealogy. They work Absolutely. hand in hand. Absolutely. They work hand in hand. And there are two comments coming out of the chat. Research is not a sprint. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yes, yes. And then there's another comment. I do believe it comes when folks are ready to handle it as far as some of the information that you gather. So yes. it, it 
it, it's, it's, it's something that we need to understand about genealogy, and there's something we need to understand about DNA. Mm-hmm. And you do your DNA without your genealogy is just like having fun. You're just looking mm-hmm. at something, but you have no idea where you're going. Mm-hmm. So we we do want to marry the two, that's for certain. We definitely mm-hmm. want to do that. Well, yeah. Char, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. And everyone, please remember, your ancestors left footprints. That's right, footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and at com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Root Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday. Now, please remember, you can also get useful tips, resources, and insights into all things book publishing on the Right Books That Sell Now weekly podcast. Subscribe to the feed at writebooksthatsellnow.com and get ready to learn how to write, publish, and market your book to tell the stories of your ancestors and leave a a lasting legacy for your family. That's right, writebooksthatsellnow.com. So thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is also sponsored by your host, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy and Educational Services, LLC, and my website is www.geniebroots.com. I look forward to all of you joining me next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Char. Thank you. Good night.